Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. If you enjoy the huddle, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Today we're discussing automated insulin delivery with Dana Lewis, one of the creators and founders of the open source artificial pancreas system, OpenAPS, and Daniel Ruck, diabetes nurse practitioner and certified diabetes care and education specialist. A few years ago, automated insulin delivery was used by a niche group of people comfortable integrating tech into their daily regime. Now, just a few years later, the integration of AID into everyday use for people with diabetes is exploding, and it's changing the lives of people embracing this technology. Dana and Daniel joined me to share their thoughts on how diabetes care and education specialists can partner with their clients to support this technology. As always, I left our conversation understanding a lot more about this technology and the life-changing benefits for people with diabetes. Dana and Daniel, welcome to the huddle. Thanks so much for having us. So we are so happy to have you here, especially since we're talking about this automated insulin delivery. You know, we've heard this talked about in so many different terms. So DIY, looping, closed or open, artificial pancreas. And I really think that points to the fact that it's such a, um, you know, artificial intelligence has really changed the diabetes technology landscape. Um, sometimes when people think of artificial intelligence, they, you know, they think, ooh, that's so futuristic, that's so out there. And really, there's really solid background on how we're really mixing data intelligence and clinical subject matter expertise, whether that's the clinician or the person with diabetes. And you know, I could talk on and on about this, but I am not the expert, and I'm probably confusing things even more than they should be. So I am so pleased to have you guys on who are the experts and are really my go-to people when I have questions about automated insulin delivery. So before we jump into this anymore, I would love for you guys, Daniel and Dana, to introduce yourselves to our audience. Hi, everyone. I'm Dana Lewis. I've been living with type 1 diabetes for 19 years now, and I am one of the creators and founders of the world's first open source automated insulin delivery system called OpenAPS. And I have been using this technology since December of 2014 and ever since. I'm Daniel. I'm a doctorally trained nurse practitioner. I am a type 1 myself um, and have been working in diabetes technology for pretty much my whole career. Um, started out, I was on the pivotal trial for one of the first closed loop pumps to get approved by the FDA, and then have continued to loop myself and kind of learn about that as I go along. I really believe in education, and so a lot of my background has been seeing patients, but leaving a ton of room in our visits for diabetes education. 
Yeah, so you guys, it sounds like you got into this really because of your personal background, and then you each bring a different perspective, right? I mean, Dana, you are, it sounds like you're the data expert, and Daniel, you know, clinician, but maybe you guys cross, are those borders kind of fuzzy? Oh, yeah. We, I say we cross paths in a, in a lot of ways. So how, how did you guys meet? So I actually live in Alabama, and that's where Dana is from. So I reached out to her and said, hey, I'm going to ask you to do this podcast, and I'd love your expertise. Because Dana, uh, I can't say enough about the way that she has really started this movement for automated insulin delivery. Well, and I'm hoping, Dana, that we can hear a little bit more about Open APS and, and what that is, because I, I think that's really opening up opportunities for people with diabetes, too, would you say? Absolutely. And just for a basic understanding of the technology that we're talking about, when we talk about automated insulin delivery, we are talking about taking a insulin pump that already exists and a continuous glucose monitor or CGM that already exists. And what we are doing is adding an algorithm or a set of decision-making rules that takes the data about what insulin has been dosed in the past and the continuous glucose monitor data and predicts into the future what will happen to the blood sugar and as a result makes decisions about whether to give more or less insulin and sends those commands to the pump so it does it automatically. So in a commercial system, this algorithm might live on the insulin pump or it might live on a separate device. And with the open source system, we were using existing pumps and CGMs that were available on the market at the time. And so in order to communicate with the pump, we used an off-the-shelf small mini computer that fits in your pocket to hold that algorithm and transmit the commands back to the pump. And we shared that code for the decision-making of how that works and how to put together together a system for yourself. And that's what became known as OpenAPS, the open source, what we called the artificial pancreas system or automated insulin delivery system. But it's basically taking the same rules a person with diabetes does dozens of times a day, but we're having the computer do it up to every five minutes, every time it receives a new data point from the CGM. Dana, that's a really good point to pull out there is that the actual thing that's injecting the insulin and the continuous glucose monitors are those commercial systems. And those systems are then just integrated into a automated insulin delivery system. So when I write a prescription for patients in the clinic, I'm writing a prescription for whatever the insulin pump might be that works inside of this automated insulin delivery system. Exactly. Yeah, we're building on the same devices people are already using. Um, and that's one of the actual purposes of the design of the open source system for safety is you're using the same pump and you're using the same CGM, which also means that you have the same set of alarms and safety systems built into those devices. And then we're able to add on extra alarms, extra safety safeguards when we make it on automated insulin delivery system. But it's using that same pump and CGM that for the most part, people are already really, very familiar with it or are already using a very similar device. So you talked about the algorithm and then there's rules that develop the algorithm. How, how is that algorithm developed? So the first algorithm was actually developed by me teaching the rules of how I treat my diabetes to my then boyfriend, now husband. He really wanted to understand, how do I help you? And my answer was, I don't really need help. But if you want to learn to do what I would do in case I'm ever incapacitated or sick, you know, let me teach you the rules. And so operationalizing those rules and teaching him, we realized 
it's the same as teaching a computer. That's what programming is or developing code. It's giving a computer rules of what to do based on the data from the CGM and the insulin pump. So teaching him helped us realize we could teach the computer. And that's all the computer or the algorithm is doing. It's making the same decisions that a person with diabetes would do, but just much more frequently um, based on the inputs from the pump and the CGM and the settings that somebody gives it. Um, so when we hear algorithm or you were talking about artificial intelligence, it sounds very techy. It sounds maybe very scary or intimidating. But when a person with diabetes is diagnosed, they are given or develop rules for, okay, if my blood sugar is this, and my sensitivity to insulin is something else, here's how I decide how much insulin to give right now. Or based on what I know is happening for eating or exercising, you know, here's how that might modify my decision now or in the future. And so the algorithm, so to speak, or the computer in automated insulin delivery is doing what the human tells it to. But you've just got that those set of rules pre-programmed into the system. And the human can still intervene. You can still bolus for meals if you want, announce meals, change your target, change the settings. You can switch out of closed loop mode and back into open loop mode and make decisions for yourself. But the beautiful thing is when you have it on, it's working in the background so that when you get distracted or busy or you do things that all humans do, like go to sleep, it works seamlessly in the background to make really small adjustments every five minutes to try to keep the predicted blood sugar in the target range that you give it. I loved when you said that your your husband learned and then you jumped and you said like a computer, right? So would you say that the computer can learn from the data or learn and become more personalized to the person with diabetes in closed looping as the computer learns? Is that the intelligence part of it? So that's certainly possible. Some systems can be machine learning. In the case of the open source systems right now, they're not machine learning, but that doesn't mean that they're not sophisticated. We have a variety of features within the algorithm that do look at the data and personalize it to individuals. For example, within the open APS algorithm, we have a feature called auto sensitivity that looks back at the last eight and 24 hour time windows and assesses, do you appear more sensitive or resistant to insulin compared to your usual. That's a very unique individualized assessment. And if you are, it further adjusts the insulin delivery as a result based on that rolling assessment of sensitivity. So it's not machine learning traditionally, but it is making very personalized, individualized adjustments. And there's another tool that we developed called AutoTune, which looks back at all of your data, your insulin dosing data, uh, your meal entries, your blood sugar data, and helps make recommendations about how you should change your baseline settings of your basal rates, your insulin sensitivity factor, known as ISF, and your carb ratio. And that's part of the reason uh, because the system uses those basic variables to make the calculations about how much insulin you need. And so if those settings are off, at baseline, you may not be getting the best results from your system. So tools like AutoTune help you decide, should I change my ratios and my settings, which then allows the system to give more customized results. So there's a lot of tools and technologies like that that are very personalized, but they're not machine learning per se. But I think in diabetes, we use tools, terms like artificial intelligence, or machine learning, not fully understanding what they mean. And when we think about what is the purpose of machine learning to provide really individualized, personalized adjustments, you can achieve that even without machine learning. But that doesn't mean the system is you know, less sophisticated or less advanced. Um, it's just a matter of what type of technology do you use to achieve those results. 
Well, it's something that I always think about too, that machine learning or any sort of intelligence can advance without the the human perspective, right? Because the human perspective can can take a little bit of a deeper dive and understand all the behaviors around the intelligence that's feeding into the computer. So it really is a mix of data and, and human intelligence maybe, right? Exactly. I think that's one of the challenging things with diabetes is the timing of insulin, for example. It doesn't work instantaneously and it works in your body for several hours. And so it can be very, very hard for the human to pay attention exactly to the insulin activity curve. And that's something actually that developing these systems taught me more about than I ever knew in my first dozen years of living with diabetes is really understanding that timing of the curve of insulin. And that's something that the computer does really, really well. And so I can think about bigger picture things like, am I eating or am I exercising? And tell the system things that it can't predict are coming. It doesn't know until I tell it if I'm eating or if I plan to exercise. And so I can give it general commands like a meal announcement or a carb count or changing a target to trigger exercise mode, for example. And then it can make the adjustments based on the thing it does best, which is paying attention to all that nitty gritty detailed data about insulin timing. And so you really have, you know, it's a challenge with the timing of insulin and all the things that impact diabetes, but you really have the best of both worlds where if the human can enter some basic things like meals or activity, the system does all of the nitty gritty heavy lifting on, you know, it doesn't matter why your blood sugar is running a little bit low, could be exercise, could be sensitivity, you know, it's going to do the heavy lifting and adjust for that and try to bring you back into range. And oftentimes, I think it does a much better job than us humans at adjusting for that. We oftentimes want to figure out, well, why am I running high or why am I running low? It doesn't matter. You know, there could be a dozen reasons like a bad pump site or you just ran a marathon or you ate a really big meal compared to your usual and your body's, you know, processing that, you know, the system doesn't care why it just wants to work to bring you back into target range. Yeah. And you brought up a really good point there that the system does kind of teach you how, how it's working. You kind of learn that over time, just like when people started wearing continuous monitors, they started to see, oh man, my blood sugar really spikes after meals. What's going on with that? When it was happening all along, maybe their A1C was 6.5, but now they're seeing those spikes. And so then that question teaches them, oh, okay, maybe I need to be taking my insulin, you know, 5, 15 minutes before meals, and that'll help prevent that spike from happening. Or maybe I need to eat a lower carb meal, and that'll help that spike from happening. But the CGM has that feedback loop. And this happens in these systems where it has a feedback loop to the person using it where they're learning from the system, by the way, it does its thing. A good example is when I eat pizza, it's having to ramp up insulin all the way until 3 a.m., you know, and in order to keep my blood sugars under. And that's just something I never saw before. And so that's teaching me more about my own body, about my own diabetes. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I love about automated insulin delivery, but especially with the open source systems, because you can see the predictions of what the system is doing. You can read every line of code if you want. But using automated insulin delivery systems, to me, it really peels back the layers of noise and helps you see different things that either you are doing or the environment is contributing to and allows you and your providers to really understand what things affect you and to be able to decide, is that something that you can and want to adjust for? And I think because it does solve a lot of the noise of diabetes and all the variables that impact your blood sugar, it can really help you see, okay, maybe I have these two 
kind of outlier areas, maybe related to evening meals or my exercise patterns. And because so much of everything else is solved for by the system automatically, you perhaps have more energy and capacity to decide to tackle some of those challenges. And I think that's one of the hard things with diabetes. When you're diagnosed, you're given insulin, you're given all these rules and recommendations about what to do. And it's a really big you know, change, everything that you're asked to do. And it feels like if you don't do everything perfectly, you won't get good results. And even, even if you do do everything right, you can still get really variable outcomes. And I think that's one of the really hard things. But with the system, you know, it can take care of so much of that noise. And I think it really you know, it helps both clinicians and patients, people with diabetes see that, yeah, there's a lot of other stuff impacting my blood sugar, impacting my diabetes. It's not just, did I do everything right? But, you know, there's so much more. Um, and I, I think these systems help teach us to give ourselves grace too. Yeah. Diabetes is hard. It's, it's a constant struggle. It's constantly changing. Uh, one of the things that I have seen people tell me about when they first go on these systems is, man, my morning blood sugar is so much better. And we've seen in studies where if people's morning blood sugars are good, the rest of their day tends to look a whole lot better. And so that's a huge benefit. Yeah. I mean, you just can't, you can't give money for the um, amount of energy you feel the difference for when you wake up and your blood sugar has been in range all night and you've had a perfectly restful night of sleep. I just stumbled across a tweet from somebody who was talking about their experience with OpenAPS and saying that, their first night of full sleep with open APS was just a game changer. And they hadn't had that good of a night of sleep in 20 years since they were diagnosed with diabetes. And it gives me chills to talk about that and to think about, you know, all of, mm-hmm. all of the quality of life impacts. It's not just time and range. It's not just A1C and clinical outcomes, but these systems provide, you know, a sense of safety, a full night's sleep, better sleep, um, and just the ability to have that energy, wake up with good blood sugars and go about your day. And it's not about just, I mean, it's great to also have better blood sugars throughout the day, but having the energy to just live your life and to do what's most important to you, to spend time with your family and to go to work and to be on top of things, it's just incredible. And that's one of the things I don't think we talk about enough with automated insulin delivery that I hope now that we've established safety of all of these systems and the efficacy of both commercial and open source systems, that we continue to move the dialogue into what's most important for people with diabetes, which is really, let's get this technology so we can go live our lives. And Dana, you and I were talking and it's amazing how your body reacts to these new lower blood sugars without a ton of excavations. Um, it, it really does teach your body. You know, I, I used to feel bad at a blood sugar of 200, 250. Keep in mind, my A1C has been six, five to seven, you know, pretty much for the last five, eight years. Um, but now that I'm on a system like this, it really does teach my body that no, 200 is not actually that normal. And so now I start to feel bad at like blood sugars of 170, 180. And, and so it's my early notice that my body is giving me for these blood sugars is, is much better. And so I'm much more apt to jump on top of them. And it sounds like your definition of a bad blood sugar has changed too, which I think is really interesting. Right. Yeah. Another thing that I found really interesting to hear from the community, obviously, you know, my motives as a person for building the system was because I was afraid to go to sleep at night because I was worried because I wouldn't hear the alarms from my CGM. And so that's what drove me to make a louder alarm system and ultimately to build this closed loop system. But everybody has different motivations for using it. And because of their personal situation, they get different results and outcomes. And one of the stories that 
I find really interesting to hear is from people who had hypoglycemia unawareness, but after using automated insulin delivery with significantly less hypoglycemia, when they do start to have hypoglycemia now, they do have symptoms and they do have the awareness, you know, and that's not a design intent of the system, but it's kind of an interesting outcome that we don't think about or talk about. And there's lots of these little stories which sound little, but are so important to people. Like, you know, the the impact on other diabetes related complications, like the progression of eye disease or this hypoglycemia unawareness. Um, I think we're just figuring out, you know, how much it makes a difference to have automated insulin delivery technology in the lives of people with diabetes. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I've kind of shifted over time as far as what I recommend to patients. I, you know, I never was preventing those who come to me uh, asking for an open source uh, delivery system uh, and saying no. But now I think of it much more as I don't want to omit these people from being a part of something that's much more safe um, and would help reduce the risk for them. And I think that's a wonderful perspective for all providers to have because automated insulin delivery is just one of many technologies where people might come in and have a system that may be open source or otherwise unfamiliar to the provider. And that doesn't mean that the system or the choice of technology is bad. It just means it's something that the provider doesn't necessarily know about. And so I'm hoping that this positive attitude and open attitude towards learning from patients about what technology they have chosen to use and and being willing to listen and ask why and make sure that the patient understands the the risks as well as the benefits and they've they've made a good choice for them, um, but not necessarily saying no just because it's something that they haven't seen before. And this is not just automated insulin delivery, but you know remote monitoring technology or which CGM a patient is using. Um, it used to be that I think a lot of the technology choices came from clinicians. You know, you can choose. CGM A or B, or you can get pump A or B or C. And now at times patients can, you know, learn about different technology on their own through social media, through their peer networks and come in and say, this is, this is the technology that I've chosen or I'm considering. Um, and a provider may not be familiar with that. And so there's going to be a learning curve for providers, just like there is for patients. And I don't think that's a negative thing. And I think it's okay for providers not to know everything. Um, but one of the things that I'm trying to do is around automated insulin delivery is do research and create resources in the literature and documentation to help clinicians who do want to learn more about automated insulin delivery, whether it's commercial or open source technology, to be able to get on that learning curve. Um, Because I do think we'll see more and more patients choosing automated insulin delivery because of all the benefits we've talked about. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today we heard from Dana Lewis, one of the creators and founders of the Open Source Artificial Pancreas System, OpenAPS, and Daniel Ruck, Diabetes Nurse Practitioner and Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist. Dana and Daniel translated the seemingly complicated technology of automated insulin delivery into practical ways to integrate AID into care for clients interested in using this technology. We talked about algorithms, risks, and benefits. And most importantly, listening to to our clients' needs and supporting them where they are at. Membership at ADCES gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. 
The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.